This is an Odyssey original. This is KNX In-Depth. I'm Chris Seedens. And I'm Charles Feldman. Times change when it comes to voting. Remember when you used to uh, vote in person or send in an absentee ballot if you happen to be away? Well, now you can just mail in your ballot from home. But since this change, finding out the results from elections, well, it just takes a lot longer. We may not know the results of some elections, like, for example, L.A.'s uh, mayor's race for a week or maybe more. Uh, And so we will go in depth into the ballot counting process. L.A. City Councilman Kevin DeLeon, as you know, still refusing to resign, even though protesters continue to disrupt city council business or try to. Can he outlast the outrage? And Elon Musk trying to ease the worry of Twitter advertisers, as he will apparently take over the company. We will tell you what he said, or tweeted anyway. Yeah, mortgage rates, meanwhile, now at levels we have not seen in a couple of decades. We're going to go in-depth today into how much higher they could possibly go and their impact on the, the housing market. Some good news for the country's economy as it grew last quarter, but is that the whole story will go in-depth? Breast implants could be making some women sick, and some people are... They're taping their lips shut. Blame that one on TikTok. Perhaps good advice for politicians. <laughs> so, not a not a bad thought. Yeah. We start, though, with uh, voting, talking about politicians, mm-hmm. and when to expect election <laughs> results. With us is L.A. County Registrar and Recorder and County Clerk Dean Logan. Uh, Dean, thanks for being with us. So uh, I know that both camps, the, the Bass Camp, and we'll take that first and then we'll expand a bit in our discussion, but I know that the Bass Camp and the Caruso Camp expect this to probably be a week or more process until we find out who actually won to become L.A.'s next mayor. If that's the case, why would it take that long? Well, great to be with you. And and, and first, I would say, you know, I'm, I'm not sure that a week is even the right uh, the, the the right estimate on that. You know, California's election laws favor participation and they allow voters uh, a great deal of of time and options for for voting, including, um, as you indicated in your introduction, voting by mail and having those ballots, um, holding those and not returning them till election day. And if they return them through the mail, as long as they're postmarked on election day and received up to seven days after the election, those are still valid ballots. And what what historic election results show us is that we have literally hundreds of thousands of ballots that are returned on election day or after election day that are still valid. And those have to go through a process. They have to be um, signature checked. They have to be verified um, before they can be tallied. So um, if this is a close contest, and, and that's really what's new here is, is the, the frequency of close contests, the, the length of time to get final election results has is, is really always been the case in California. But if this is a close contest, um, it could be it could be several weeks before we have final definitive results in that context. For, with those who complain that, you know, that used to be the time where it was election day, you voted in person, we knew who won that night, there'd be uh, speeches that night. Fair to say that now with vote by mail, this is just the way of the future. In other words, people, voters get used to it? I, I think to a certain extent that's true. Again, uh, California has adopted laws that favor that participation. Uh, I, I think this is this has actually always been the case, but I think the frequency with which we see very close contest has become more common in the last several elections. And so while we certainly have more people voting by mail, we also see 
a, a more divided electorate, which I think is part of what you're seeing here. And it may seem counterintuitive, but it's actually in those close contests where this is most critical because you wanna make sure that every valid ballot that was cast in the election is counted and that it's counted uh, properly and that we that we you know do all the checks and balances, the post-election audits and all of that before we certify the election returns. And that's really what's happening in those days and weeks after the election. So, Dean, is it kind of a trade-off in this equation? On, on the one hand, uh, you make the choice, or we made the choice, to make it easier for people to vote uh, in many different ways over many different days. But the downside to that is you get many people, uh, you know, Donald Trump, uh, for better or worse, made a big deal out of this uh, in the last election, that as time goes by before we know who somebody, uh, who the winner is of a particular uh, election, it leads to speculation and rumors that something funny is going on. Yeah, I think sadly uh, that has become the sort of the playbook, right, is to even before Election Day to to kind of put out that narrative that if this doesn't go the way I want it to go, then there must have been something wrong with the process, not with the not with the uh, outcome of, of the actual votes in the election. Uh, I, I wish I had a solution to that. I think it's it's unfortunate. We're seeing that, you know, across the country um, right now. But I, I think the, the 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 most critical piece here, again, is is making sure that every vote does count. And the trade-off on that would be, um, you know, to disenfranchise voters who um, otherwise wouldn't be able to participate in the election. And and we still have, you know, the, the term of office for these uh, uh, positions, you know, doesn't take place until later in December or even in January. So uh, there is still time for a transition. There is still time for due process if somebody right. wants to but, but let me ask you, though, Dean, uh, because it, it's different in different states, and a lot of people here don't know, uh, in California, uh, are the votes counted, the mail-in votes, before the polls close and then they're released afterwards? Or uh, can you not even count the, the ballots? I don't mean numerically how many you got, but who actually was marked off as, as, as the choice. Can you not begin that process until polls are officially shut? No, and I think that's an important and uh, that's an important clarification. And you're right, that is different um, across the country. In California, as we receive the voted vote by mail ballots, and we're getting those on a day, daily basis right now, we can scan those in and have them ready. So as soon as the polls close at eight o'clock on election day, we can run the program that tabulates those votes. So those first results that you'll see on election night around 8.30 or a quarter to nine, you know, within that first hour after the polls close, are actually the results of those vote-by-mail ballots that have come in uh, leading up to Election Day. Um, so so um, if you're voting, if you've turned in your ballot this week, you'll be among the ballots that are first represented in those returns. And then we'll add on the election night, um, uh, the in election day votes uh, throughout the evening. Um, and it's the, it's the additional vote-by-mail ballots that come after. All right. Dean, thank you. Uh, that's L.A. County Registrar Recorder County Clerk Dean Logan. Protests, protesters leaving L.A. City Hall's council chambers yesterday after creating a ruckus, demanding Kevin DeLeon and Gil Cedillo resign. Cedillo, though, is done after the election when the new term begins. Uh, Kevin DeLeon, though, is hanging on, refusing to step down, despite calls from his colleagues and many others to do so. With us is Zev Yaroslavsky, former L.A., uh, longtime, in fact, uh, L.A. County Supervisor and Director of the Los Angeles Initiative at the UCLA Luskin School of Public Affairs. Zev, thanks for being back with us. Uh, 
this will make sense in a second. But this morning, uh, I was looking at a, a picture. Uh, it was of protests in Iran, uh, and uh, the caption was "Protests in Iran," and it, tens of thousands of people. You can barely see a, a spot of uh, sidewalk through all this sort of sea of humanity. Then I keep hearing about you know protests at City Hall to to have uh, Kevin DeLeon resign, and I see the TV pictures, and it looks like maybe 15 people at a time. So I wonder whether or not uh, his calculation, Kevin DeLeon's calculation, might be that until he gets thousands of people either storming City Hall and or putting their names on a ballot to recall him, he's going to just sit tight. Well, I don't think you can measure this the seriousness of this situation uh, by how many protesters are there, and there were more than a few dozen uh, when this first broke. And and uh, yeah, I think the issue here is much broader than that. It's a political issue for and a moral issue. Uh, the, there already has been a, a recall petition filed against him. I, I saw in this morning's news. Uh, so there's likely to be. Uh, if, this, if they get the, re- the, the requisite signatures, there's likely to be a, a, a recall election sometime in the next six months. Uh, the, the issue here is is uh, the people who engaged in that conversation uh, betrayed the city council as an institution, the city government as an institution. They betrayed the public. They, they betrayed individual members by name. Uh, and uh, it, it's virtually... It's going to be virtually impossible for him to function, even if he stays uh, in in that institution. Imagine if if somebody somebody attacked you personally um, in in the way that they that they did in that conversation. You know, how how can you in, engage in in a constructive uh, lawmaking? No, and and, and Zev, I, I I don't disagree with you, but but my point is that uh, if he doesn't get the signatures that require that that recall election, and that may or may not happen. And even if he gets the signatures, who knows what that recall election uh, from his district is going to lead to. That's correct. Yeah. I mean, could he, as reprehensible as his uh, remarks and his actions have been, could he still manage to just hold on until he's ready to, say, either quits or the next election comes up and perhaps he loses that one? Yeah, well, theoretically, I mean, in in terms of can he stay, he can, because the only people who can remove him are his constituents in a recall election, uh, or wait two years and when he's up for re-election and and remove him then. Or he may never be removed until he's termed out. You're right. We don't know what the result of a recall election would be in his district. Uh, But uh, beyond that, it's uh, this this is not good for the city. And it's not good for the people of the city, and it's not good for the city council as an institution. As long as he's there and doesn't leave the stage, uh, the, the council is is not going to be able to function normally. Could he stay? Yes. Is that the way he wants to be known? Uh, he's already going to be tarred by what, what happened. Uh, but to, to think of himself first and the city second uh, is not the way... I, in my opinion, it's not the way to uh, to behave. Now he's going to—he's, I'm sure, going through a thinking process, and uh, and he, he can reassess whether he wants to stay or not after a while. Why would he want to stay uh, in in this environment? He's going to be ostracized. He's going to be isolated. He's going to be largely ineffective, uh, and he runs the risk of being recalled. Uh, so you know, 
Nuri Martinez made a decision very quickly that she was going to leave the stage. And, uh, uh, and you know, Gil Cedillo is going to be out of office in December because he, he lost his election and his term is up. Uh, but De Leon has two more years to go. Is this what you know, the, the, the reputation of his reputation and the reputation of the council as a whole uh, is going to be is going to suffer if, if he hangs on? So he can hang on. Uh, but he's on political life support. Zev, we we know about the censure uh, that came through yesterday, and, and we, we're also learning about how long and how expensive uh, a recall is. Tell me, when it comes, or can a change be made to the rules at City Hall uh, for situations like that? How long, how expensive, how difficult would it be to, to come up with a new rule that would deal with a situation like we're dealing with right now with Kevin DeLeon? Well, I don't know what what you suggest they do. I mean, you could the, the recall elections are prescribed by state law and by the city charter. Uh, to change the city charter, you'd have to go to a vote of the people. That costs money. Uh, I don't think you want a. I, I certainly, as a First Amendment hawk, do not want the city council to be able to remove somebody from office because of something they said, no matter how egregious it is, because it's a slippery slope from egregious to, well, I disagreed with you, so let's get eight votes and take, take you out of office. So there, there is a procedure to, to remove somebody from office, and it's called a recall. Is it expensive? Yes, it is. And uh, there have been recall elections. Uh, very few people have been recalled, actually, of the elections, but they some have. And, and that's part of the price we pay for democracy. This is the way that people have... Uh, this goes back a hundred years. The recall procedure uh, was established in the state constitution. This is this is how people have recourse to somebody who, in midterm, isn't fit to serve. Uh, and I, I wouldn't change it. Uh, I don't know how you would change it. Well, let me let me ask you this: What would you say to the protesters yesterday? And we heard from them uh, during Craig Figner's uh, amazing reporting from City Hall, from the chambers yesterday. They were coming down on Marquise uh, Harris Dawson. Uh, for his, for even showing up, basically, uh, for the council meeting. Um, you know, what, what would you tell the protesters? Marquise Harris-Dawson was just showing up doing his job. Yeah, I don't think that most people in the city want the city council to go uh, on, a, on a leave of absence because one, mem- one transgressing member of its body refuses to resign. Uh, the city council has important work to transact. There are decisions that have to be made that have uh, implications for the people of the city, for public safety, for for homelessness, for uh, for, for every issue. You know, people who have projects that uh, their permits that they're trying to get to, to build housing projects, they've got to get the city council uh, to act. So I think uh, Council President Kerkorian made that very clear when he assumed the, the position of president to. Uh, to say we're not going to let the city council's business be held hostage to one one guy. Zev, let me ask you something. You asked before rhetorically why would he want to stay, uh, Kevin DeLeon, that is. I mean, could it be something as simple and as crude as he's getting paid, and if he leaves, he doesn't? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, and that's, that, that can't be discounted as, as a factor. However, uh, you know, I I'm a big fan of John Wooden, the former UCLA basketball coach, and he had a line about about your integrity and your reputation. Your reputation is what other people think about you, and your integrity is who you really are. Your character is who you really are. And he's got to just look himself in the mirror and say, why? What is the 
public purpose, what is the public interest of me staying after after the damage that has been done? And, uh, uh, the, the, you know, when his obituary is written, like we're all going to have obituaries written in one way or another, this is going to be the headline. And, uh, and the sooner he leaves the stage, the sooner he can he can heal the, and, and the council can heal and, and uh, we can start to rebuild yeah. uh, the trust that, that has been lost by this incident. Zev, we'll have to leave it there. Thank you for your time. Zev Yoslowski, former longtime L.A. County Supervisor, Director of the Los Angeles Initiative at the UCLA Luskin School of Public Affairs. Coming up, the latest economic numbers for the U.S. They look good, but is it just a mirage? And taping your lips shut seems to be a thing on TikTok. Okay. Uh, right I don't now, know why. Don't but, know if that's a strange a, one, but yeah, there's a lot yeah. of strange things on TikTok. Right now, though, it looks like Elon Musk will be taking over Twitter. He was at the main office yesterday. The deal could be made official as early as tomorrow. In fact, they're expecting it tomorrow. Musk tried to reassure advertisers, telling them he's using Twitter to help humanity. And won't let it become a, a free-for-all hellscape his words, uh, where anything can be said with no consequences. With us now uh, is Lane Gregory, social media expert and CEO and founder of CrowdShare, a social media branding platform. Uh, Lane, thanks for joining us. Is this just Elon being Elon? I think that's a loaded question because you never know what Elon (laughs) is going to be. You know, Um, I think that he is serious about his, uh, his intent to to create for advertisers i mean to to create a scape that has both a free market uh you know open source free speech platform but also to monetize it in a way that twitter's never done that before so i think that there are going to have to be a lot of um a lot of fail safes that he's got in in in, into it and he's going to have to make sure that he monitors it and at least has some sort the uh let let me ask you this though uh am i mistaken but but didn't the sort of beta version of Elon Musk uh, come out not being such a great enthusiast for advertisers? And wasn't he more uh, leaning toward a subscription base? What happened to that? Well, there there is Twitter Blue. So there is already a subscription based. And I think that having advertisers that are built around what the people actually want to see. So I do know that from my understanding, I'm sorry, I don't know, but from my understanding, it has been that you get to choose what content you see and what you you get advertised to. I think that's revolutionary. I think having the ability to say, I'm interested in these, you know, these are my interests, and then allowing an algorithm also to see that you might want to see based on your behavior a little bit more. I think that's kind of brilliant. Do you see people like the former president being allowed back on, and when there's pushback by some, that Musk will uh, rethink that? Or is is he going to stick to it? I can only base it on what he said about having like the Ayatollah on there or other leaders around the globe that have talked about, you know, some pretty bad stuff. I think he'll let him back on there. I think there's going to be backlash. I think there's going to be a lot of people that will exit it. But I also think that they'll come back. I think that he's also going to bring a lot of new users to the platform. Um, I, I think that people are going to see this and maybe at least give it an opportunity. But it, as a private business, as opposed to a public one, what is the advantage, not to him, but to the user? Any? Well, yeah. I mean, first off, if 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 you're if you've got a, a private business, you can you can definitely delegate the terms of service a lot better. 
Um, you can have more integrations with other platforms. I mean, you take like our platform, we have to have an API through Twitter in order to post to Twitter for our users to post to Twitter. So being able to, he's really big about open sourcing code. If you look like what he did with Tesla and SpaceX and the boring company with everything that he's done, right? He's real big about open sourcing. So I think that you're going to have a lot of opportunity for small developers to large developers to build around and really let Twitter grow in a way that it never has. Lane is a social media expert. The sale to Elon Musk, good thing or bad thing? I think it's a good thing. And you're, I think, okay, maybe expand on that. I think that it's a good thing because I think that what it does is, A, it puts Twitter back on the spotlight. There's, you know, when you look at Twitter's massive amount of numbers of fake accounts, I think that's going to be deleted. I think that, that those are going to be taken off. I think that people will start using Twitter in, in a way that's, that they maybe haven't used it before. I mean, I know that, you know, I know that, that you have a whole demographic of people that won't use Twitter because they don't understand it or they don't use it well. I think there's going to be a lot of streamlining. You can bet with Elon Musk, he's going to change the UI. Look at every company he's ever been a part of. He changes the look, the feel, making it easier for the user. Um, and I, again, I think that I think purchasing this for with him purchasing this, it's going to open it up and and at least, like I said, allow a lot of growth. He says he's doing it for humanity. Imagine somebody being able to write in a code and development to utilizing Starlink, right, in, in a foreign country that they don't necessarily have a lot of technology, but they can create a code that allows them to communicate with the outside world, and then you can really see what's going on as far as you know needs in that area. That's a massive plus, yeah. right? There. Okay, Lane, thank you. And once again, his words, he's not going to let it be a free-for-all hellscape. <laughs> Lane Gregory, social media expert, joining us on In-Depth. This is KNX In-Depth with Chris Seedens. I'm Charles Felton. Well, buying a home here in Southern California or anywhere else in the country, for that matter, is going to cost you, cost you more unless you have enough cash. Mortgage rates have now topped 7% for the first time in more than two decades. Home prices might be slipping, but a bit more monthly payments could be the same or more due to the mortgage rate increases. So is this going to scare off more would-be buyers? With us is Daniel Smith, housing advocate and founder and CEO of Keepingly, which helps homeowners. Daniel, thanks for being with us. So uh, which one overrides the other, or, does, or is it a washout that uh, home prices uh, perhaps go down, but mortgage rates, of course, go up? So where does that leave the home buyer or potential home buyer? Thank you very much for having me. Ultimately, I think it's going to be a wash. I think that, you know, it cancels out the other. Um, but I do think that with mortgage rates rising, there is going to be a bit more payments because you can see that the housing prices are coming down a bit. Um, though we do have another, uh, conundrum on the other side, which is supply and inventory. So I do think that we're in for a bit of, you know, it, it kind of evens out for the, the potential home buyer, but they will still feel the pain in terms of that cost on a monthly basis, considering where we start today and where we are now. Daniel, is it, is it also fair to say that it's really not worth pressing the panic button? And I know it is when you're going from mortgage rates that were below 3%, below 25 at one point, 7%, you know, we've been spoiled for so, so long with such low, low rates that 7%, that was kind of the standard, if not a decent rate, back in the 80s and 90s. 
Agreed, 100%. And I think that, you know, you're, you're correct on the button in terms of we have been spoiled. But the fact is, is that, you know, people have expectations. And if you look at this generation in terms of what we've become accustomed to and, you know, what our lifestyle is, you understand that we're facing unprecedented costs in terms of both from the inflation side, uh, because, you know, COVID has done a real uh, number in terms of what we have, you know, our ability to be able to afford certain things uh, and what our expenses were. So I do think that at the end of the day, you do realize we, we, we as homeowners and home potential home buyers, they are at the worst end of it coming into the market at such a late stage. And so they may, they may want to press pause in terms of what they actually, you know, it may make sense to stay put um, rather than actually going to, out to buy in this current market. This, of course, also has a direct impact on the rental market too, right? Because if people aren't buying homes because they can't afford the homes, and if they're first-time home buyers in particular, they're going to rent, and that's going to drive rent prices up, which has been the case all over the country for the most part. Yeah, 100%. Um, we see that in terms of how the rental space has evolved in terms of what their pricing is and in terms of what people pay for rent. And even in some of those numbers, you, you have seen a bit of cooling in terms of what that number looks like in terms of what rents are. But we're all going to feel the pain, uh, both renters, both home buyers. I, I do think that, you know, as inflation starts to come down and as we see a bit of cooling in some places, we will, that will even out. But it's going to be, you know, how persons are able to really navigate the situation is by being, understanding what their appetite for is and what the market is offering them. Daniel, thank you. That's Daniel Smith, housing advocate, founder and CEO of Keepingly, which helps homeowners. So is the recession over before it actually began? The latest numbers show the U.S. economy grew at a 2.6% annual rate for the July through September quarter. That, of course, follows two straight quarters of a contraction. It seems like good news despite inflation. But what do things look like moving forward? Caleb Silver is editor-in-chief of Investopedia.com. Caleb, thank you for joining us today on In-Depth. Let's uh, get back to what Charles mentioned a moment ago. Is this expected recession over before it really even begins? Uh, hardly. I wish I could say that it was. But when we look at GDP, we're always looking in the rearview mirror. And when we look in the rearview mirror at the last quarter... We did see an advance in gross domestic product after two straight sign, two straight quarters of declines. Two straight quarters of GDP decline is a proxy for recession. It doesn't actually equal a recession. But the last quarter was stronger than we thought. And why was it stronger? It was stronger because the trade deficit was lower. And think about why that might be the case. The dollar, the U.S. dollar, is really strong right now. It's the strongest currency on the planet, and that is affecting our trade deficit. So uh, more imp more exports and imports. Don't get used to that. Consumer spending also holding up decently in the last quarter because gas prices finally fell way below that $5 a gallon that they were sitting at. So those are the reasons why it grew last quarter. The forecast ahead does not look that great. And almost every CEO and economist on the planet is predicting a recession for the first half of the year. And is that partly because since we are all living in an interconnected planet, that as Europe goes into the winter and its own issues with uh, uh, gas and, and uh, heating oil, 
because of the uh, Russian war in Ukraine, if Europe uh, goes into a recessionary mode, that's going to impact our ability to profit from exports, right? Absolutely. When Europe catches a, a sneezes, we all catch a cold. Similarly, if the United States falls into a recession, it's going to affect the rest of the world as well. So Europe's issues are very acute, especially when you look at manufacturing economies like Germany, which is having a very rough time. They're paying very high electricity uh, prices and energy prices in Europe and will continue to do so. So that definitely has a lot to do with it. Also, in a recession, a global recession is going to reduce purchasing power from all the countries we export to. It's also going to reduce purchasing power on at home here as well. So you have those two factors that we're facing um, um, but the good news is that the consumers continue to spend despite inflation, and we're all complaining about it, but I think it's the gas prices coming down that really has the most effect on consumer spending. Those are such a key indicator for folks, whether the way the way they feel and how they spend. And I think that helped last quarter. If gas prices continue to remain at these levels or even potentially lower going into the winter, Maybe consumer spending holds up. Maybe we don't have a lot of layoffs, and maybe we do avoid a recession, but it would be a very, very thin needle to thread. What should we be more concerned about, what investors see and think about on Wall Street or what you and me have to deal with on Main Street, or are the two just linked together and we can't do anything about it? That's a great question, and the stock market and the economy are very different. Sometimes they walk along the same path, but know this. The stock market always recovers before the economy recovers. Why? Because as investors, we're betting on future profits. We're betting on future growth. And I think investors, as you can see, the stock market's up about 10% in just the last few weeks after declining heavily, heavily in the early part of October and in September. Why? Because I think investors say, oh, we see what's going to happen. We see a slowdown approaching. We think the other side of it looks a lot better. So they're starting to uh, to make positions right now in some big stocks and across the boards. The economy is something we feel very personally. We call it personal finance for a reason. Why? Because I may be in a slowdown. Um, I may be having you know trouble growing my own wealth, but other people might be doing better or vice versa. So it's very personal. And the more we talk about recession, the more people just start to pull back a little bit. It has a psychological effect. So I think the recession and people's personal finance fears trump what's happening in the stock market today, although Half the country is invested in the stock market, although most of it is owned by the top 10%. All right. Caleb, thank you. Again, that's Caleb Silver, editor-in-chief of Investopedia.com. You're listening to KNX In-Depth with Chris Seedens. I'm Charles Felton. Well, former NASCAR driver Danica Patrick now opening up, opening up about her health problems Due to breast implants, telling People magazine she got the implants back in 2014, then started experiencing things like fatigue and hair loss three years later. Patrick had the implants removed earlier this year after watching videos on breast implant illness. With us to discuss is Dr. Sean Sate, cosmetic surgeon in Beverly Hills. He specializes in body cosmetic surgery. Doctor, thanks for being with us. What exactly is breast implant illness? Chris Charles, thank you so much for having me. So breast implant illness doesn't actually hold a true diagnosis. It's a diagnosis of exclusion. And what I mean by that is that it's just a cluster of symptoms. These symptoms can range from anything as fatigue, brain fog, such as memory or concentration problems, joint pain, anxiety, hair loss, dry eyes, all the way to GI symptoms. And these can occur anytime um, after the placement of an implant. They can be immediate or most commonly seen years after. 
It's very different though than the rare cancers that we oftentimes hear um, that's presented in the scar tissues or capsules that surround a breast implant, the lymphomas or the squamous cell carcinomas. Dr. Chate, there are a lot of women with implants. How worried should they be about this? Not too worried. Um, you know, oftentimes these things come out in the media and it, a lot of patients get scared and I get a lot of calls about it, but this is a real thing. Breast implant illness is real, but as, as far as how often this happens and how common this is to date, there's been no studies that really looked at the number of women that have breast implant illness. With that being said, I have had an increased subset of patients over the coming years that have come out to my practice where I've removed their implants, their capsules entirely. Um, and there are Facebook groups with over hundreds of thousands of members uh, with uh, breast implant illness. Is there something that the women who come down with this cluster of, of illnesses associated with breast implants have in common? Is there some commonality? There is. So oftentimes, as far as what the cause is, researchers don't know that. But there are some leading theories about what the commonalities are, and a lot of it has to do to some sort of autoimmune disorder or reaction that then leads to some sort of inflammatory response. Now, the thought is, could this be a reaction to the silicone itself? And what I mean by that is that implants, whether they're saline or silicone, they all are in a shell that's made out of silicone. Now, the question is, are patients having a reaction to that silicone or are patients having some sort of small uh, quantity, like micro droplets of content that's coming out of the implants that the patient's bodies are reacting to? And it's unsure. How advanced are breast implants today compared to what women were receiving 20, even 30 years ago? Far, far more advanced. So the material that's inside, for example, a cohesive or let's say a silicone implant that we oftentimes hear today, if I take a blade or a scalpel and I cut it, the silicone inside actually won't burst out and gush out like you would expect. It's more like a gummy bear consistency that will, it'll spread apart if you pull it apart, but for the most part, it'll all stick in together and where it's at which is far different than where it used to be 20 years ago, whereas if you cut the implant, it would just get everywhere, and you'd have silicone exposure everywhere. You know, you mentioned before, as you were ticking off, some of the illnesses that might be associated with a breast implant, and I was thinking, you know, in some ways it's analogous to long COVID in the sense that long COVID uh, patients have so many different types uh, of illnesses that it's often very difficult for a physician to figure out whether it is or isn't associated with having that person having had a COVID infection. How do you determine as a doctor whether or not the illness that a patient comes to you with, uh, other than perhaps a localized one where it would be really obvious, how do you determine if it's associated with a breast implant? Great question. So we actually do a thorough workup in conjunction with our patient's primary care physicians. And as far as ruling out anything that could be far more serious, such as an autoimmune disorder, like I mentioned, Lyme, lupus, multiple sclerosis, making sure that their hormones are all within balance. Once we rule these things out and we have a patient that has had a history of implants placed, we then point the finger to the breast implants. And oftentimes within three months of removal of the implants, as well as the capsule around it, patients tend to have a really good response and within three months have complete alleviation of their symptoms. All right. Dr. Sate, thank you. Again, that's Dr. Sean Sate, cosmetic surgeon here in Beverly Hills, specializing in body cosmetic surgery.
You know, there are lots of crazy, wild things that can be found on TikTok. Much of it is, you know, harmless. However, doctors are now warning about a trend that's developed on the platform. Yeah, people are taping their lips shut. You heard that right. Taping their lips shut when they sleep. The idea, apparently, is to stop mouth breathing at night. One young woman raves about the benefits of uh, of beauty sleep as the reason to tape her lips shut. Let's talk more about this. We're joined on KNX in Depth by uh, Amelia Jordan, certified sleep science coach, product review specialist at Sleepopolis. Uh, Amelia, thanks for joining us. Of all the the crazy things on TikTok, is this we're going to add this one to the list, or or is there is there anything to this? <laughs> Hi, thanks for having me. So yeah, this is definitely one of the crazier trends we've seen on TikTok. There are quite a few that go around about sleep. Um, but there, this does seem to be something that doctors aren't recommending overall. So definitely some things to avoid with this. Um, so yeah, as you guys mentioned, mouth taping is supposed to be something that prevents mouth breathing and prevents snoring. Um, and there are a lot of reasons to want to avoid mouth breathing at night. Um, but there are definitely some dangers with putting tape over your mouth as you're asleep. So first of all, there's the danger of irritating or ripping the skin on your lips, which is very fragile. Apparently, some people have been using things as rough as duct tape to do this trend. So that's something you'll definitely want to avoid. And also, it's a little bit dangerous when you think about if you're putting tape over your mouth and your mouth breathing, um, odds are that you have a nasal obstruction or some other medical problem that's preventing you from breathing through your nose like you should. So if you're putting tape over your mouth, you're preventing your body from being able to breathe at night. What's the um, problem with mouth breathing anyway, breathing? So so what doctors say is that when you breathe through your mouth, you aren't going to be filtering the air in like you would through your nose. So you know how your nose has mucus in it and all of that, that actually filters the air that, that is coming into your body. So when you breathe through your mouth, it's not getting filtered. And that can lead to more bacteria in your mouth, some tooth decay, gum disease, things like that. Your mouth can also just get dry while you're sleeping. And it does seem like there are some studies that link mouth breathing to snoring. But, you know, if it causes it or not, not sure. Okay, well, let me ask you this. What might be a better way to keep yourself from mouth breathing breathing at night? Definitely. Yeah, so there definitely are some other options aside from mouth taping. Um, So one thing you can do is to just try and practice breathing through your nose during the daytime. If you find yourself breathing through your mouth during the day and at night, try and train yourself to do it during the day. Um, Just practice breathing through your nose. And then also, if you sleep on your back, you can try sleeping on your side or on your stomach. Um, That will definitely help you to breathe through your nose better because your body has to take in really large breaths when you're on your back. And that can cause you to sometimes breathe out through your mouth just to get rid of all that excess air. So try switching over to your side or your stomach. And if you're not used to sleeping in those positions, you can try a body pillow or a wedge pillow or something else to really just put you in the right position. Have you encountered any of these people who are taping their mouths shut when they sleep? Actually, yeah, we have a staff member whose mom is actually a big fan of mouth taping, and we asked her a little bit about her experience with it. Um, She said her hardest part was finding the right tape to use, um, (laughs) and she ended up using medical tape. Um, And she said she liked it because she felt like it was helping her relax her jaw and her mouth wasn't so sore when she was waking up. But as I mentioned, there are some risks with this practice, so we can't wholeheartedly recommend it. Has she spoken to her doctor about this? You know, that's a great question. I, sorry, yeah, I don't know if she has, but that's something I would absolutely recommend is to consult your doctor. Um, pretty much anytime you're trying to do something to fix a medical problem, it's always a good idea to talk to your doctor. Um, like I said before, there might be some other reason why you're breathing through your mouth or why you're snoring. You could have a nasal obstruction or you could have sleep apnea. There's a lot of medical problems that kind of relate to this area. So 
it's a good idea to talk to your doctor and make sure you're not just treating a symptom and that you actually get to the root cause. Amelia, I'm curious also in your occupation, have you come across other kind of weird things that perhaps are as strange or maybe stranger than taping one's mouth shut while asleep? Oh, definitely. Yeah, we have looked into a lot of viral sleep trends at Sleepopolis because we research everything new in the world of sleep. Um, We are right now looking into another pretty popular trend about cherry juice. So there's this trend going around on TikTok saying if you drink tart cherry juice before bed, that that will help you fall asleep. Um, Definitely (laughs) one of the craziest ones we've seen so far was the NyQuil chicken. I don't know if you guys heard about that. Oh, yeah, oh, that's uh, that's yeah. when we're, we're supposedly people douse their chicken that they're cooking in yeah. NyQuil, right? Yeah, yeah. people were, I think, boiling their chicken in NyQuil, which, as you can imagine, is a pretty bad idea, um, both from a health and safety perspective um, and just a food safety perspective. <laughs> um, but, yeah, they were calling it the the permanent nap chicken, I think was the oh, nickname. My goodness. What, what, so what, definitely what, not recommended. What's the rationale about the tart? cherry juice yeah you know actually i haven't looked into it yet i was actually planning to try it out myself and see what <laughs> okay. the reason behind it was but yeah. um yeah there's just a lot of people on tiktok right now saying that they drink a cup of it before bed and it's like this crazy trick to help them fall asleep well there you go huh and i can't help but think with the mouth taping at least it's taping not glue that would be really right bad. I, <laughs> yeah i would say if you if you really were you know uh, if you really, really want to try this out, definitely mm. don't tape yeah. your entire mouth over. Mm. Um, I looked into talk it. To and there are some, yeah. I mean, yes, is, obviously is... Talk to your doctor first. Um, and you, there are some, some commercial tapes out there that seem to like not cover your whole mouth, which obviously seems advisable, but definitely, definitely consult your doctor because you don't want to mess around with your health and your breathing, especially while you're asleep. It is so important. Yeah. I was going to say, Amelia, that, that, yeah, the, the, maybe the moral to the story is that if you think you have a problem mouth breathing, maybe you should see your physician and not go on TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. We always recommend a sleepopolis. Go to your doctor and not TikTok. Good there, advice. You know, sometimes you'll find some good tips and tricks on TikTok, but if you're really considering trying something, talk to a doctor because, you know, anyone can post something on TikTok. You don't know who they are. Uh, so just because someone says something works doesn't mean it necessarily does. And there could be dangers you hadn't thought about. So Amelia, always check with your doctor. Amelia, thank you again. That's Amelia Jordan, sleep uh, certified science. Let's try that again. Certified sleep science coach, product review specialist. She's with Sleepopolis. I'm trying to figure out which is the strangest, the uh, taping your mouth shut to sleep or the cherry juice. Or the NyQuil with the turkey. They're chicken. Yeah, chicken. Or the chicken. Yeah. So. I don't know if it works Works with turkey. <laughs> too much tryptophan. <laughs> too, much, too expensive. <laughs> okay. On that note, that'll do it for KNX In-Depth. For Charles, I'm Chris Seedens. We're back again tomorrow.